through Galatians all summer. Um, and if, if any of you have ever played sports um, or been pretty serious about sports, even if, even if you haven't been that serious about sports, uh, you know that if you abandon the basics or the fundamentals, like keeping your eye on the ball, it's not going to go so well for you, right? So um, as many of you know, um, I love playing tennis, so I brought my racket, and I can learn all these things if I try to get really good top spin on it, or if I try to do what I call the Andy Roddick, I don't know what it's actually called, but where you, tr- where you hit it like that, you know what I'm talking about? Um, or if you, you, know, you try to get your serve um, really fast, or you're trying to get your second serve in really well, for half of you, probably more than half of you, you have no idea what I just said, but um, if you do that, but don't focus on the basics. Your tennis game will be horrible. And that's what it was like for me in college tennis. I was trying to do all this fancy stuff. I'm in college now. Got to step up my game. And the one thing I forgot was to watch the ball all the way into the racket. Okay, that sounds really simple, right? But it's really easy just to be thinking about your shot and where it's going to go to where you just watch it to about there and then don't watch it, and, and nine times out of ten, hits your frame. I don't know what that's called, but I call it a thud shot, framer. Uh, I, I, again, I don't know the fancy names of things usually. But, um, and then the ball just go random places, just go all over. But if you watch the ball all the way in, and same is true with baseball and, and a lot of other sports, if you watch the ball all the way until you make contact, um, then it's going to go a lot better for you. And so the same is true about the gospel. So the main message of Galatians is that we have to constantly be coming back to the gospel. Don't abandon the basics of the gospel. And it's interesting that the audience that Paul is writing to is Christians. Okay, so it's not like he's writing unbelievers, hey, here's the gospel, believe this. No, he's writing Christians who already believe it. But yet he's saying, don't abandon this basic, this fundamental The gospel, I've heard it said by several people, is not the ABCs of Christianity. It's the A to Z. Okay, you never graduate from the gospel. It affects the way you live uh, and the way you move. And if it doesn't, then then your Christian walk gets all out of whack. So a little background to the book of Galatians. Um, Paul's writing to the churches in Galatia around 50 AD. And here's here's a picture of it. This is modern-day Turkey. And that orange region is Galatia. Uh, and you see in Acts 13 and 14, he starts a lot of these churches in, in Iconium, Derby, Lystra, if you read through there. So Paul's writing to these churches that he started, um, and he's writing to correct a false teaching. And that false teaching is described in Acts 15, verse 5, and it's up on the screen for you. It says, But some believers who belonged to the party of the Pharisees rose up and said, It is necessary to circumcise them and to order them to keep the law of Moses. Okay, so we'll just stop there for a second. There's this group of Jewish Christians. Okay, these were people who believed that Jesus came, died, rose from the dead. Okay, but they also said, you've got to also be circumcised and believe all of these laws, these ritual laws that Jesus fulfilled. You still have to fulfill them. You still have to obey them yourself in order to be saved. And here's the apostles' response. Verse 6, the apostles and the elders were gathered together to consider this matter, and after there had been much debate, Peter stood up and said to them, Brothers, you know that in the early days God made a choice among you, that by my mouth and the Gentiles the that by my mouth the Gentiles should hear the word of the gospel and believe. 
And God, who knows the heart, bore witness to them by giving them the Holy Spirit, just as he did to us. And he made no distinction between us and them, having cleansed their hearts by faith. Now, therefore, why are you putting God to the test by placing a yoke on your neck of the disciples that neither our fathers nor we have been able to bear? But we believe that we will be saved through the grace of the Lord Jesus, just as they will. So we got two main groups here. We've got what's called the Judaizers, the Jewish Christians. You get, there's telling the Gentile Christians, hey, you have to be circumcised. You have to keep the law. And they're adding requirements to be saved. And they, they're marked by arrogance and by boasting and self-reliance. But then you have this other group, the Gentile Christians, and they were believing these Judaizers. They were believing, yeah, I do have to keep the law. And so they were marked by, by fearfulness, by anxiety, and feeling really condemned. Now, Peter basically says to them in this passage, hey, don't you remember that we couldn't bear this load? Right? In verse 10, by a test, by placing a, no, a yoke on their neck, you know that we can't bear it. No one's ever been able to bear it. That's why Jesus had to come, because we couldn't obey the law perfectly. We needed Jesus to come and fulfill the law. So Peter's saying, hey, don't abandon the fundamentals. Don't abandon the gospel. Don't add to the gospel. So that brings us to Galatians 1, verse 1. So if you read that with me. Paul, an apostle not from men nor through man, but through Jesus Christ and God the Father who raised him from the dead and all the brothers who are with me to the churches of Galatia, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. So right there in verse 1, he starts out by saying, I'm an apostle. What, what's an apostle? Um, John Stott says it's someone who's personally chosen, called, and commissioned by Jesus. And there's only a handful of these people for all time. Okay, um, People were questioning Paul's authority. So he opens by saying, hey, no, I am an apostle. I did encounter Jesus face to face. I know that it, you know, I wasn't alive while Jesus was alive here doing ministry on this earth, but he appeared to me and has taught me and has trained me. So a lot of chapter one is Paul defending his authority in order to defend his message, the gospel. He's not just doing it to say, hey, look at me, Paul. He's doing it to defend the gospel message. So um, three main points this morning. What's the gospel? Paul defines in the next couple of verses, the gospel is this, that salvation is from God. Salvation is from God. Look at verse 4, talking about Jesus, who gave himself for our sins to deliver us from the present evil age according to the will of our God and Father, to whom be the glory forever and ever. Amen. So it starts out, and it basically is saying, hey, we're helpless in our sin. It said he gave himself for our sins. Now, Here's how we know that our part in salvation, believing in Jesus, isn't that big a deal. Okay, the only thing mentioned when Paul lays out the gospel here about us is that we're sinful and we need to be delivered. Okay, um, it's, like, it's like we're helpless. Okay, like we're totally incapable of saving ourselves, which is true. Now, to bring that to life a little bit, um, I want you to imagine for a minute that you were drowning in an ocean. Let's just wait a second, okay? Wait. Uh, okay, I don't want to uh, uh, give it away too quickly. Um, I want you to imagine that you're drowning in an ocean. 
and you're at this place called Point Nemo, which is the point of inaccessibility. Okay, this is the place on earth that is farthest from any point in the world. Now you can go. I just wanted to set it up before we, so they knew what they were looking at. We're distracted. So um, there's the Easter Islands. Um, there's an island that I don't know how to pronounce. And there's Antarctica. All right? So each one of those, I know kilometers doesn't mean much to you all probably. Um, so I'll translate this a little bit for you. Uh, you're 1,670 miles from land in any direction. And you're only 248 miles from the space station if you went straight up, the International Space Station, which is interesting. Um, not to mention that the water is 7 degrees in temperature. Okay, some perspective. 20 to 32 degree water temperature means that you will die in 7 to 22 minutes. Okay, 7 to 22 minutes. So do the math there if it's 7 degrees. I, I don't know. I'm not good at math. You can figure that out. Um, but that's how helpless... You are if you were at Point Nemo. But that's what Paul is saying here. That is how helpless and worthless our efforts are to try to save ourselves. It's like trying to swim to shore. You wouldn't, you wouldn't even make it a couple miles before you, well, you wouldn't even make it a mile before you just die of hypothermia, much less be able to swim that far. You abs- absolutely have no ability to save yourself. And Paul recognize this in himself later in the chapter. So if you look at verses 13 and 14 with me, it says, For you have heard of my former life in Judaism, how I persecuted the church of God violently and tried to destroy it, and I was advancing in Judaism beyond many of my own among my own people. So extremely jealous was I for the traditions of my father. So here he's describing pre-conversion, before he came to know Jesus. And he was the exact opposite of a follower of Jesus. He was a persecutor of people following Jesus. He was helpless because he thought he had it all together. He was arrogant because of his own accomplishments. And arrogant people don't turn to Jesus without wake-up calls usually. And we'll, we'll get to that in more detail in a second, but Paul is the least likely person to come to know Jesus. And he says it right here. Much less be an apostle, right? It's one thing just coming to know Jesus, but become an apostle? So you know this is totally from God, that he is totally helpless. And if salvation is from God, and we're helpless, then we're way more messed up than we ever dared to imagine. Do you realize that? If salvation is from God and you're helpless, you are way more messed up than you ever dared to imagine. And that's the gospel, that salvation is from God, but it's also through God. So I'll read verse 4 again. Jesus, who gave himself for our sins to deliver us from the present evil age according to the will of our God and Father. So Jesus sacrificed himself, substituted himself for us. It's this word deliver here, okay? It says he delivered us. Um, now, it's not like throwing a manual on how to swim to someone that's at the point of inaccessibility, okay? Like taking, going to Barnes and Nobles and finding the, the swimming for dummies manual. You go, here, throw that to them. That'll help you out. It's not going to work. You're going to die of hypothermia. And, and you, even if you figure out how to swim before you drown, you're not going to be able to swim that far. So it's not like throwing a manual on how to swim to a drowning person. 
It's like throwing a rope to them. That's what Jesus does. Salvation is through God. Jesus takes our sin on himself, offers a lifeline, and God himself humiliates himself through the person of Jesus by becoming human. And he knows that the law, the manual on how to swim, so to speak, isn't cutting it, so he jumps in to save us. He takes our place. He swoops in with a helicopter, offers a rope, picks us up. He delivers us. And Paul recognizes this too. This happens to Paul. He's delivered from a helpless situation. Look at verse 15 and 16. But when he who had set me apart before I was born and who called me by his grace was pleased to reveal his son to me. Look at that. This is grace. This is unmerited favor. This is all through God. Arrogant people don't turn to Jesus without a wake-up call from God. Paul is a perfect example of this. Look at Acts chapter 9. It's up on the screen, verse 1 through 9. But Saul, which was his name before he came to know Jesus, Saul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest and asked him for the letters to the synagogues of Damascus, so that if he found any belonging to the way, men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. Now as he went on his way, he approached Damascus, and suddenly a light from heaven shone around him. And falling to the ground, he heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he said, Who are you, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. But rise and enter the city, and you will be told what you are to do. The men who were traveling with him stood speechless, hearing the voice but seeing no one. Saul rose from the ground, and although his eyes were open, he saw nothing. So they led him by the hand and brought him into Damascus. And for three days he was without sight and neither ate nor drank. So Paul was radically transformed from Jesus. Did you catch that? Verse 1. Saul was still breathing out threats and murder against Christians. While he's breathing out threats against Christians, Jesus enters his life and totally transforms him and delivers him. And that's what happens to any of us who come to know Jesus. Okay, it may not be that dramatic, but it says in the Bible that we are not, we're not just kind of innocent, sinful people over here. We're enemies of God. We're against what God is about, whether we recognize it or not. And Jesus just steps in. And for those of us here who are especially arrogant, he probably did it in an especially radical way. And we could probably go around and share stories about how Jesus just, just whacked us upside the head and say, hey, you need me. Doing life on your own and for you is pointless and worthless. You need me. And that's what happened to Paul. If salvation is through God and you did nothing, you're way more loved by God than you ever dared to imagine. Do you understand that? You were way more loved by God than you ever dared to imagine because you totally didn't deserve it. So salvation is through God. Salvation is from God and salvation is to God or it's for God's glory. Look at verse 4 into verse 5. Who gave himself for our sins to deliver us from the present evil age according to the will of our God and Father to whom be the glory forever and ever. Notice it says, according to the will of God, to whom be glory forever and ever. It's not that we were good enough 
And salvation ultimately isn't even for our own sake. Sure, it's amazing. We get hope, we get joy, we get Jesus living inside of us, we get guaranteed heaven forever with him. It's amazing, it's great. But ultimately, it's saying here, it's for God's glory. The good news, the gospel, is that salvation is from God, by God, for God. Romans eleven thirty six. Paul says this, For from him, through him, and to him are all things. To him be glory forever. Amen. And it, we see this in Paul's life. So look again, look at the end of verse 16 with me. In order that I might preach him among the Gentiles, I did not immediately consult with anyone, nor did I go up to Jerusalem to those who were apostles before me, but I went away into Arabia and returned again to Damascus. So, no, we'll just stop there for, for a second. So he didn't confer with others about his message. Okay, and Paul is defending his apostleship again here to defend his message, to defend the gospel, which magnifies God, not Paul. All right, so we went to Arabia, it says in, these, in this passage, in verse 16, verse 17, and he's there three years. Most likely, um, people think that he went there to study the Old Testament and to spend time with Jesus. Some people believe this is to kind of compensate for the three years that he didn't get with Jesus while Jesus was doing his earthly ministry. We don't know that for sure, but I think that's a valid theory. But he's, he's nowhere near the other apostles for three years. So he's not making this up. This message that Paul gets, this gospel message, is not made up by Paul. And he continues in verse 18. Then after three years, I went up to Jerusalem to, vi- to visit Cephas, that's Peter, and remained with him 15 days. But I saw none of the other apostles except James and the Lord's brother, in whom I am writing to you before God. I do not lie. So after three years, he does see two of the other apostles in Jerusalem. But it's only for 15 days. It's pretty crazy to think that he got his gospel message from them after three years, and after encountering Jesus face to face. And then he went way north of Jerusalem, verse 21 to 24. Then I went into the regions of Syria and Cilicia, and I was still unknown in person to the churches of Judea that are in Christ. They only were hearing it said, he who used to persecute us is now preaching the faith he once tried to destroy. And they glorify God because of me. Notice he didn't go back to Jerusalem until 14 years after he was saved. 14 years he finally converges with these other apostles. And we, we find that out in 2 verse 1, Galatians 2 verse 1, it says that. But the believers responded by praising Paul, right? They found this out. Oh man, this guy was persecuting the church. That Paul is amazing. No, verse 24 says they praised, they glorified God. They praised God because of Paul. Clearly, God was the one doing all of this for his glory. God is committed to displaying his glory in everything. And this should bring security to us. This should bring assurance to us because God's reputation is on the line. The faithful one can be counted on. Otherwise, he would cease to be God. Realize that? That's how sure our salvation is apart from anything we've ever done, except believe in Jesus, we are saved. And so if salvation is for God's glory and not for mine and not for yours, you're way more accepted 
and you're way more secure than you ever dared to imagine. And that's the gospel message. So let's look back now at a chunk that I left out. Let's look at 6 through 9. I'm astonished that you are so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. Not that there is another one, but there are some who trouble you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one we preached to you, let him be accursed. As we have said before, so now I say again, if anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to the one you received, let him be accursed. So verse 6, it's talking about this different gospel. We talked about this at the beginning. These are the Judaizers described in Acts 15. And Paul's saying to them, you're not just deserting the gospel. You're deserting God himself. You're saying to God, your work on the cross wasn't that big a deal. It, It would be like me doing my best drawing of stick figures that I could. Okay, because that's all I can do. Okay, my best drawing of stick figures. And if we put it up in an art gallery up right next to a Van Gogh, okay, that would be ridiculous. Um, I don't know why anyone would ever do that. Uh, But that's what this is like. When you add to the gospel, it's like putting my stick figure drawing or your stick figure drawing, if you're a stick figure drawer like me, up against a Van Gogh. Why would we ever find worth in our own efforts? Our own efforts are like those stick figures compared to God's finished work of Jesus on the cross. Verses 8 through 9, he, Paul gets really strong here. He said, you, you'll be accursed. You should be accursed for believing this. Why is adding works to salvation such a big deal to Paul? And why should it be a, such a big deal to us? Because you're making mockery of the finished work of God on the cross. You're saying, these false teachers were saying that Christ's work only got you a thousand miles closer to shore and there's still 670 miles to go. Great. That doesn't really help you. Jesus didn't need to die if we could earn it. And in verse 7, it it says that these people are troubling these Gentiles. By other gospels, suddenly salvation is dependent on me instead of God. It's no longer from God. It's no longer through God. It's no longer to God. It's from me, through me, and to me. So there's kind of two groups of people. And I mentioned this at the beginning. The first group is the Judaizers. These are the people who are causing the trouble. These are the people who are saying you have to add stuff to be saved. Okay, and then there's the Gentiles. And here's what the Gentiles are like. They're really troubled. And I'm sure they were asking questions like this. Am I accepted by God today? Have I obeyed God perfectly today? Are my sins taken care of? Am I going to heaven? This is someone who's wrapped up in fear. It says that they distort the gospel, it says in verse 7. That that verse in the Greek the original language that the Bible is written in means reverse the gospel. Not just distort it, reverse the gospel. So it says, we obey, then God accepts us. Every other religion in the world says this. Do you realize that? 
Look at every other religion. They'll say you have to do this, 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 and this, and you'll get paradise. Or you'll uh, reach enlightenment, admit, or you'll get your own planet, or whatever. You have to do this, 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 and this. The gospel of Jesus Christ, Christianity says the opposite. God accepts us, then we obey. These Judaizers were saying, you can earn your salvation. Work harder. And they were arrogant, they were boastful, and they were self-reliant. So my question to us this morning is, are you a Judaizer or are you a Gentile? Again, these Judaizers were arrogant. They were boastful. They were self-reliant. Gentiles were fearful, anxious, and feeling condemned. And the truth of the gospel is that it demolishes both of those things. You're completely messed up. I'm completely messed up. So that should demolish all arrogance, all pride, all boasting, all self-reliance. And you're completely loved and accepted by God as well if you believed in Jesus. And that should demolish fear, anxiety, and condemnation. There's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Christians should simultaneously be both the most humble and most confident people on the planet. Is that you? Are you humble? Are you confident? That was Paul. That was Jesus. Is that you? You're humble because you realize how messed up you are. Paul's humble by constantly pointing to Jesus. Notice in his letter, as we continue to read this, but just in chapter 1, he's constantly pointing to, this is God doing this. This is Jesus doing this. This is all for God. This is all for Jesus. He's not boasting about his own accomplishments. He's realizing, I don't have it all together, and that's what we need to do as well. If you, rec- if you recognize that I'm more of a Judaizer, I'm more arrogant, I'm more boastful, you need to realize that you don't have it all together and admit it, both to God and to other people. And we can be confident because we realize how great Christ's finished work is, and that should bring amazing assurance an amazing hope and love. Paul is confident by constantly pointing to Jesus. We need to realize that we are accepted, we are secure because of Jesus' work, not our own work. You know which one you tend, tend towards. But if you don't, and you have a spouse, just ask them. Or kids, ask your parents. They'll be able to tell you. All arrogance shows a lack of believing the gospel. You're saying you don't think you need a a savior because you believe you're all good. And this is is what I tend towards, being a Judaizer, being arrogant, being self-reliant. I tend to gloss over my shortcomings to look more put together. I tend to find my worth in the things I'm doing for God. And for me and everyone else who struggles with this, I urge you to cling to Galatians 6.14. But far be it from me to boast, except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. You need to preach that to yourself. You need to repeat that to yourself over and over and over. Because if salvation is from God and you are helpless, you're way more messed up than you ever dared to imagine. Now, fear and anxiety, all of it, 
shows a lack of believing the gospel as well. You don't think anyone accepts you, much less God. Okay, most of your acceptance issues probably comes laterally between other people. But, but if other people don't accept me, how could God accept me too? You guys need to cling to any number of passages, but I just want to throw these out. Psalm ninety four fourteen, When anxiety was great within, he, within me, your consolation brought me joy. And Romans eight thirty four to 37. Who then will condemn us? No one. For Christ Jesus died for us and was raised to life for us. And he is sitting in the place of honor at God's right hand, pleading for us. Can anything ever separate us from Christ's love? Does it mean he no longer loves us if we have trouble or calamity or are persecuted or hungry or destitute or in danger or threatened with death? As the scripture says, for your sake we are killed every day. We are being slaughtered like sheep. Verse 37, the answer is no. Despite all these things, overwhelming victory is ours through Christ who loved us. Pour yourself over Romans 8. If salvation is for God's glory and not for yours, you're way more accepted and you're way more loved than you ever dared to imagine. So here's the gospel. It's from God. It's through God and it's to God. And you are way more messed up than you ever dared to imagine. So we cannot be boastful. And you are, you are way more loved and accepted than you ever dared to imagine. So we have to be humble. Let's pray. God, I thank you that we can be humbly confident in you. We don't have to we don't have to worry about what's going to happen to us, not only when we die, but right now we can, we can be freed of anxiety and fear. We don't have to live in that. So I pray for those who are like me in here that, are, that really struggle with pride and arrogance, that you would just do an amazing work in their life. God, I pray that if you have to, you would do something radical to, to wake us up and help us realize that apart from you, we are nothing. And so for those of us who just really struggle with fear and anxiety, come in, Jesus, and bring such hope and assurance because of your finished work. Help them to look to the cross and find, find so much strength and so much confidence not find confidence by the things going on around them or the way that they feel. Come and deliver us for your glory, God. Pray this in your name. Amen.